All right, we are in week two of this series called Soap. It's all about learning to see ourselves the way that God sees us after we place our faith in Jesus. And I can't wait to get into what we're going to learn today. Uh, but did you guys catch that in the giving moment that uh, I didn't even know the missionary was thinking 10,000 was the dream amount? I was just told to ask for 5,000 and I mentioned it. And then I get a text from a family in the church, hey, we're led to double it. And then I hear back from the missions team, oh, 10,000 was actually the amount the missionary was praying for. Like, how cool is that? Such a God thing. And I think an inspiring story for you, you might think, oh, I could never give 5,000. The point isn't the dollar amount. The point is there is a believer in our church who's walking with the Lord, being led by the Spirit. And as you grow in Jesus, you're going to get these little nudges, you know, hey, invite your coworker to church or ask that person what they believe about God. And you'll think, oh, that's out of my comfort zone. I don't know if I should do that. When you step out, God will lead you in these little ways. You step out. That's where you really experience God and start to grow. You know, one of the things that holds us back from stepping out and doing those things are these voices in the back of our heads that tell us you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? Why would you even try? Um, when I first started uh, teaching the Bible, it was in a small group with a bunch of my friends, and then I left my journalism career, and I became the pastor of a little church in Arizona. And almost every week, I would have this kind of emotional roller coaster. Uh, I would spend hours, sometimes 40 or 50 hours in the week, preparing the message. Then I had lots of weddings and funerals and meetings. And then I would deliver the message. And I almost always felt like it wasn't good enough. And I don't just mean kind of like it wasn't good enough. I mean like a deep, actual sense of shame, a false shame, but like, this voice in the back of my head of like, God's so great. People need him so much. You're failing at connecting people to God. That voice was not from God. Uh, as I've learned to define myself by Jesus and what he says about me, I've actually realized that voice comes from the way I was raised when I was a little kid before I was even a follower of Jesus. That I was raised in an environment with kind of an impossibly high bar of performance that you're never good enough no matter how hard you try. And so while I didn't have the language to say that's shame in my life and that's false shame, I was on this roller coaster of doing my best but waking up every day and feeling like it wasn't good enough. Uh, can you relate to that feeling? Uh, we don't usually look in the mirror and say, I'm feeling shame. But we deal with these feelings of inadequacy, of regret, uh, of feeling like, how could God possibly use me? And I'm convinced that it holds many of us back from living the good life that God has prepared for us that helps others and that is fulfilling. You know, I put some uh, uh, reminders on my phone this week in my news app to give me articles that have the word shame in it because we're on this series of shame. One of them that came through uh, was a survey of people around the country who no longer go to church, who were raised in church, and why they stopped attending church. And I read about 21 of these quotes from people who say, this is why I no longer go to church. Here's one of them. This guy says, the nail in the coffin for me was a church service where the preacher pretty much said, we are all meaningless and nothing before God. And I just couldn't get behind thinking that I was nothing, especially to an entity that I had never met or even heard from personally. This person says, I had already had my fair share of bullies in school 
trying to convince me to live in shame. Man, that's so sad. And that's such a picture of what religion does. Not Jesus, but religion. Religion says you're never good enough. Who do you think you are? Jesus comes and he says, I've come because I love you and I've come to give you life. But how do we actually start to experience that? Here's another article that popped up on my feed this week. It's called The Redemption of Justin Bieber. This is actually a full profile in GQ magazine of Justin Bieber. And if you're not familiar, you know, very typical kind of celebrity story of wealth and fame, drugs, alcohol, every kind of pleasure, a lot of bad choices while under the influence, a lot of mistakes with power that a young person wasn't ready for. And so in this article, The Redemption of Justin Bieber, he talks with the reporter and the whole thing centers around how he lived under shame for years and years. In fact, in this short profile, he uses the word shame five times. And his whole point to the reporter was, I tried everything to get free from shame, and the only thing I've found that works is Jesus. Uh, and he talks on and on about his relationship with God through Jesus, his uh, somewhat newfound Christianity. And I just want to give you a couple quotes. He said, quote, a lot of people let their past shame weigh them down. And they never do what they want to do in life because they think they're not good enough. Uh, can you relate maybe to that? Later, the uh, author of the article who is not a believer in God and in the article says, you know, I'm not a believer, but pretty much this guy just kept talking about God the whole time. Here's what the author writes, quote, it is beautiful to hear Justin Bieber talk about God, quote, he is grace, Bieber says, every time we mess up, he's picking us back up every single time. That's how I view it. And so it's like I made a mistake, but I won't dwell in it. I won't sit in the shame. I will actually, when I understand grace, it makes me want to do better. So interesting, because I don't know Justin Bieber. I'm not here to preach Justin Bieber. But what he described is the same journey that I've had with Jesus, though with a very different scenery along the way. And it's the same journey that God wants you to have, where shame doesn't own or define your life. In fact, I want to show you a spectrum here uh, of two extremes. One extreme would be that you're always in shame. And this is kind of how I was. Even after I placed my faith in Jesus, I knew my sins were forgiven. I knew I was going to heaven. But based on my own weird, broken personality and maybe the way I was raised, for whatever reason, I, I just wake up over here apart from Jesus. Uh, can, you, can you relate to that? Maybe there's just these constant voices that you're not good enough, you're not trying hard enough, you know, uh, and any kind of negative voice like that that just demeans you is really an expression of shame. And many of us, we just live under that all the time. And, and sadly, this is what religion is. There's a lot of religious people who just constantly live under shame. Do you know that the highest rate of suicide anywhere in the U.S. by state is the state of Utah? At Utah, if you visit there, almost everyone is Mormon. Mormon is, Mormonism is not Christianity. It's a religion. It's a religion that you have to work harder to be like God. And it's just a fact that it has the highest rate of suicide in the country. Because if you just have religion and you think God's perfect and I'm down here and I've just got to keep trying harder, guess what? You're going to constantly live in shame. And so you might think, boy, it'd be awesome to never feel shame. But that's actually not healthy either. 
A shame has a function in your life. Someone who never feels shame, someone who could violate another person, wrong them, and not feel bad about it, that's a psychopath. Truly, that's a sociopath, right? Like, if you wrong someone, you should feel a healthy sense of shame until you restore the order of that relationship. Uh, you can look at an example of this in the physical world. This is Ashlyn Blocker. Ashlyn lives in Patterson, Georgia, and she has a genetic disease in which she cannot feel pain, physical pain. And you might hear that and think like, wow, that'd be awesome. I'd love to never feel physical pain. But the reality is that many times Ashlyn has injured herself in different ways because where we would feel something and remove our hand, she can't. Her parents described to doctors one day there was boiling water in the kitchen when Ashlyn was a little girl, and they go in there, and she's got her hand in the boiling water because she can't feel any pain. So if you think of this continuum as pain rather than shame, we know that it wouldn't be a healthy body if every day you're in chronic pain and your pain sensors are screaming out that something's wrong even though everything's okay. That's not healthy. It's also not healthy to have the genetic condition that Ashlyn does where you never feel pain. A healthy body, what it does is uh, if you're, you know, cutting up some vegetables and you slice your hand, you feel pain. And that pain leads you to go clean the wound and bandage it up. And that pain forces you to not use the wounded part while it heals. And then once it heals, you're free from the pain. Now, shame is supposed to work in the same way in our lives. So if we can change this continuum to a healthy sense of shame, what does that mean? Well, a healthy sense of shame means you're not always living under shame. You're not every day living in your past mistakes or feeling like you don't matter or you're nothing to God. By the way, that person who was in that church that said that, uh, God doesn't say that. If you look at the whole of scripture, it starts in Genesis by saying you're made in the image of God. You're eternally valuable to God. He came and died on the cross because of how much you mean to him. And so you're not nothing. You're made in the image of God. You're eternally valuable. But we make mistakes, don't we? And mistakes happen to us. And so we have this sense of shame and we don't know what to do with it. And the Justin Bieber profile is a great example of here's a person who's young, healthy, all the money in the world, all the fame in the world. And for a while, tried living over here and just saying, hey, there is no God. People try that, right? You know what? Oh, I feel really ashamed over here when I think about God. So I'm just going to say there isn't a God. And we can all just do whatever we want. And people try that for a while. But then they wake up in the morning and they still feel shame. And so I, I guess I wonder, where would you put yourself on this continuum? You know, there are people over here like, having an affair with their, you know, against their spouse, wronging their spouse, and they're like, well, I feel fine with it. That's not healthy. And then I think a ton of us live over here, just like every day, yeah, my sins are paid for, I'm going to heaven, but man, I'm a terrible person. And we just have this low, broken view. God says you're made in the image of God, but you are contaminated by sin. All of us have sinned and fall short, but when you trust in Jesus, you become a new creation. Now, we'll experience the fullness of that new creation when we get to heaven and no longer have a sin nature, no longer have a body that's broken and will someday die. But until then, God wants to start moving us to this healthy center, whichever side you're coming from. 
in my journey over the last 10 years or so has been not only believing in Jesus for my salvation, but also for my identity. To move me to a place where I don't always feel like I failed and messed up, even if I didn't do something wrong, or if I did do something wrong, I'm able to bandage the wound, let God heal it, and get to this healthy place with shame. So here's the question we're asking together today. How can you get to a healthy place with shame? How can you get to a place where you wake up every day, you look in the mirror, and you're like, I'm made in the image of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm valuable and dignified because God says so. And it doesn't matter how I perform or what anyone says about me. I know who I am in Jesus. And then as the day goes on and you, you mess up, you lose your temper, you do some other maybe worse thing, you're able to go to God to clean the wound up, confess it to him. He bandages it up and it starts to heal. And you live a life where you've got a healthy sense of shame that restores your relationships with people and God, but you're not living under a constant cloud of shame, you know, how do you get there? If I could tell you in our time today how to begin experiencing the honor that God gives you in Jesus, not just believing it, but starting to experience it, would you want to know how? Well, uh, God's going to teach us that very thing, and we're going to find it in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Now, the context of Hebrews chapter 12 is this idea of us running a race. Our race is our life on earth, you know, typically 70 to 90 years that we have on earth. And our race is our lifetime. What are you going to do with your life? And the context here is pretty much saying like there are sins in your life. And in addition to sin, there are shames and regrets in your life. And it's almost like you're trying to run this marathon race of life with a big backpack full of rocks on you. And what Hebrews 12 starts off saying is throw aside any sin, any shame, anything that would slow you down in running the good race that Jesus has planned for you. And it's in that context, it says, let us run with endurance this race. You might think, well, how do I do that? Here's the answer to our question. How do we kind of correct our shame meter? Hebrews 12, verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Now, this Greek verb keeping is the idea of to continually keep keeping. So you looked to Jesus at the moment of your salvation. If you haven't done that yet, you can do that today, where you very simply, you, you believe in Jesus. You say, Jesus, you're God. You died on the cross for my sins. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe you rose from the dead. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you adopt me into the family of God? You look to Jesus, and you're saved by that moment of belief where you receive his grace. You're not saved by what you do. But then this verse says, keep keeping your eyes on him. So don't just look to Jesus once for your salvation. That's the start. But now keep looking to him. Every time you feel something in the realm of shame, rejection, worthlessness, look to Jesus again. Find your acceptance in him. Find your forgiveness in him. Find your honor in him. Keep looking to him. Because he's the champion who initiates our faith and who perfects our faith. So from now until you get to heaven... The perfection of your faith is not you earning your salvation. It's you experiencing a little more and more every day 
of how amazing God's grace is that everything is paid for, that you have a new identity. And the passage continues. It says this, because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the opposite of shame, the place of honor beside God's throne. Now, if you were with us last week or the week before, we got into this topic of shame, worthlessness, rejection through a story that Jesus told. We often call it the prodigal son or the lost son. It's in Luke chapter 15. And the summary of the story is this. There's a person. The person represents you and me. There's a father that represents God. The, the person, the son, does a number of shameful things. In fact, every shameful thing a person could do in that culture, the son does. And he ends up away from home. He has um, gotten his inheritance early. He spends it all in Las Vegas. He ends up homeless. He's in the mud with the pigs. Uh, he has completely destroyed his life through shameful choices. And he limps back to the father, which is God. And where a typical father in that culture would have said, no, you're, not, you're dead to me. You're not even my son anymore. This father, who's a picture of God, says, I see all of your shame I'm going to take my symbolic robe of honor, and I'm going to cover over your shame with my honor. Jesus told this story. He picked all the details of the story strategically because he wants you to know this is the heart of God toward you. And he wanted you to know that when he died on the cross for your sins, yes, it gives you eternal life. Yes, it forgives you of your sins. Yes, it makes you right with God. It adopts you into the family of God, but also it covers over your shame. Your shame has been exchanged for his honor. And where shame or rejection or worthlessness would define your life, your choices, your view of yourself, your emotions, our journey through this earth is a one day at a time learning more and more to receive the honor that Jesus secured for us at the cross. Now, very brief kind of deep theological moment here for those of you, if you don't yet have a life application study Bible, we'll give you one today. You can go way deeper on this. In the book of Romans, it says that when Jesus died and then rose from the dead, he proved that he can defeat death. And think about this. He killed death. Who else can kill death? Now, what's interesting, if you look at uh, this word in the original language, despising its shame, it was the word that people would use for making fun of somebody. And so the point is this. First of all, Jesus was horrendously shamed so that we don't have to be. And not only was he physically beaten and nailed to the cross and the physical pain, but he was stripped naked. A whole metropolis city was saying, crucify him. Falsely accused, wrongly accused, called a bunch of names. He experienced shame, physical abuse, everything else in the most extreme way so that you don't have to live under shame anymore. It's this great exchange God says, bring me your shame, and I'll tr you can trade it in for honor, the very honor of God. So uh, ironically, in the Greek language here, Jesus makes fun of shame. The same shame that weighs us down and presses us down, and whether a person's as famous as Justin Bieber or as normal as me and you, that shame, we can't overcome it on our own. Jesus not only overcame it, he made fun of it. He shamed shame so he can set you free from shame. I know I went a little deep there, but here's kind of the summary of Hebrews 12, 
verses one and two. How do we get free from shame and sin? We do so by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who endured the cross, absorbing our shame that we couldn't carry and defeating it, and now is in the place of honor where he's preparing a place for us. He trades his honor for our shame. So how do you get free on a daily basis from shame, from regret, from worthlessness, also from sin? By keep keeping your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. You might say, well, John, that just sounds like a cliche. Of course you're going to say that. You're a pastor. It's church. You're like, well, look to Jesus. No, I'm telling you guys, this is real significant. And where this applies is from now till we gather here a week from today, in the next six days, you will have hundreds of moments where you're triggered by something that makes you feel shame, rejection, worthlessness, regret, the list could go on. When that happens, look to Jesus. Now, let's go back to that big idea. Keep keeping your eyes on Jesus, who trades your shame for his honor. Keep keeping your eyes on Jesus, who trades your shame for his honor. So every time you feel one of these things, and by the way, most of us, when we feel them, we don't say, I'm feeling rejection. I'm feeling worthlessness. We just say like, especially those of us who are dudes, and I don't mean to gender stereotype here, but in my experience, guys especially, we don't identify, I'm feeling shame or rejection or worthlessness. We're just like, I don't know. I don't feel good. Right? That's about it. But, but really underneath, it's these things. So what does keep keeping your eyes on Jesus who exchanges your shame for honor mean? It means whenever you've got some kind of negative, dark feeling, thought, negative thought about yourself, look to Jesus in that moment. Jesus, who do you say I am? I mentioned earlier the extreme kind of shame that, that I kind of default to. And so I had to learn after I had given my very best in a week and had worn myself out to preach and felt like it wasn't good enough and I felt ashamed because I wasn't good enough, I had to stop listening to the voices in my head and I had to start looking to the word of God and say, who do you say I am? What do you say about my effort? And I've had to learn to redefine myself based on who Jesus says I am. Now, the point of this spiral, which for all the car people is a coil spring, the point of this spiral is this. Everyone has this. Whether you're Justin Bieber or normal people, whatever, we all have this. And when we have this, we try to resolve it. And there's a lot of ways to try to resolve it apart from God. One of those is religion, which will just make a person feel more and more shameful. Others of those are things that numb the pain for a little while. Like drinking so much that we just can't feel anything anymore or uh, taking a drug or shopping or success or achievement or the next relationship or the next house or the next possession. Some of those things are not inherently evil, but we look to them because we don't know what to do with this and we look to that thing to make us feel better. And because this stuff is so heavy, we end up looking to those things in unhealthy ways and eventually they catch up to us. Catching up to you could mean you wake up the next morning and you know you were out drinking and your car's in the driveway and you realize you drove home drunk, you don't even remember anything and you could have killed someone on the way home. So you felt better for a few hours, but now you're even lower in shame. Or the credit card statement shows up in the mail 
And, you know, you didn't hurt anyone, but how are you going to pay the credit card bill now? Because you were shopping to numb the pain, and you, now you just know, like, my spouse is going to kill me. You know, like, what are we going to do? We're going to have a huge fight, and it becomes this, it, it's another spiral. Because we're, we're looking to, the, and we're all doing this, by the way. I want to just normalize for a moment that uh, if you're sitting and you're watching this at home or you're in here and you're like, well, John, I don't understand why you have this deep journey with shame and rejection and worthlessness. You know, I was raised by great parents and I feel great about myself and I never feel bad. Like, okay, you're weird. If that's how you feel, the rest of us live down here, okay? The rest of us know what this is like. And some of the things are really obvious, like alcoholism, everyone sees it, and some of them are very hidden, But either way, we just keep going deeper and deeper down the spiral, and we're living in constant shame, which isn't what God wants for you. You know, the book of Galatians says it's for freedom that we've been set free. So as we grow in Jesus, it's followers of Jesus, not religious people, but true followers of Jesus who are the most free people, who can be the most free people. And I'm convinced that there's a lot of Christians who have salvation and eternal life but haven't started to experience the upward honor spiral. Instead of going to that negative thing to numb your pain, you can go to the promises of God to say, here's who you are, son or daughter of the king. You're eternally valuable. You're bought with a price. You're a new creation. Those old things are no longer who you are. You can do better. You can live in a community of believers who are cheering you on to do better. And instead of going to something that numbs you out, you go to something meaningful, some good way of expressing your new identity in Jesus, and you wake up the next day and you feel a little more honored. And then you keep doing that, and you can actually spiral upward into honor instead of spiraling down into shame. And this is really my prayer for you in this series is that you would learn to repeatedly run to Jesus to let him change the way you see yourself so that you can spiral upward into a life of honor. We, as a church, we're not a community that exists to shame each other. We're a community that exists to call each other up, that you were created for great things, that God has a plan for you, that he loves you and gave his life for you. You know, we've got thousands of examples of this in our church family. Thousands of examples of those of us. I told you about for me, you know, I gave you one example that I would preach and I would feel afterwards like like I did such a bad job. It was was a false view of shame. That's my experience. We have a thousand different expressions of this for every one of us. And what's beautiful is any one of us can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, whenever I feel these things, I want to look to you. I want to keep keeping my eyes on you. And you can start to move up the spiral instead of down. You know, a lot of uh, people think it'd be great to be rich, to be famous. The challenge of being famous is that these normal struggles that everyone has can become national news. Uh, And that was the case for Al Unser Jr., two-time Indy 500 winner, famous athlete, and like everyone, had that same, how do I deal with these feelings? You know, Al started racing as a kid, and so when he was 13 or 14 and would win a race, they'd give him the champagne just like they would to anyone else. And that started a negative spiral of looking to that to temporarily numb those things that we all have. And over the years, even as he was winning Indy 500s, that was in the background 
becoming more and more of a slave master to him. Now, the difference between someone like this and me is that when the mistake gets made of a DUI or something, it ends up on the NBC Nightly News or in Newsweek magazine. And Al spent a number of years from the late 90s until very recently going to every psychologist, every support group, everything out there to try to solve this. About three years ago, Al came in here to our Saturday night service, and he heard about the power of Jesus to set us free from things that we can't set ourselves free from. And Al believed in Jesus. Al expressed that belief by returning week after week, by then uh, getting into a small group with other guys. Al meets on Monday night with a small group of men, and also by getting baptized. Uh, by the way, if you haven't been baptized, I was talking with Al this last week about his journey from the shame spiral to now experiencing the honor spiral upward. And he said that his baptism was such a breakthrough moment for him. If you're here and you've believed in Jesus, but you've never taken this step, we'll be doing baptisms next week, a week from today. So you can text that word to us, or you can go to our connection corner. Uh, baptism is a moment. You're not saved because you were baptized per se. You're saved by believing in Jesus. But the expectation in the New Testament is after you believe, you will be baptized. And there's something that happens emotionally when you physically move your body to say, I'm dead to my old way of life. And just like Jesus was buried and raised, I'm now raised into newness of life. And now I'm going to live like a new free person. There's something that happens. So that's why we'll We'll be seeing that happen for people next week. If you haven't done that, you got to do it. And we'll be celebrating and cheering as you do. As I talked with Al this last week, he said, before Jesus, I was in the dark. When I got baptized and believed in Jesus, it has lightened my whole world up. I asked him about those shame triggers that we all have. I said, you know, what are some of those for you? He said, you know, for me, often it could be a thought he said, I think it's different for everyone. And I hadn't told him this message outline, but he said this, when they happen, and they still happen daily, I try to just do this, just think of Jesus. To just think of Jesus. And I thought, that's Hebrews 12 too. Keep keeping your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. He said, it could be a challenge of the day. It could be that nothing's going right, but I just think of Jesus. Al was pretty vulnerable and said I could share. He said, I've had a lot of regrets in my past. I'm trying to forgive myself. He said, it's like a big weight that I carry on my back. Can you relate to that? We've all got that. He said, I have to keep reminding myself over and over again that Jesus is love, that he's forgotten the past, to keep looking forward and not behind me. And then he said this, quote, in the small group, we talk about that stuff that God has forgiven, that God has forgotten, so I just need to keep looking forward. And I asked him, okay, Al, you're saying look to Jesus as the solution. What does that look like for you? Be you know, real practical on a daily and weekly basis. He said, uh, I start my morning every day with the Daily Hope devotional. Uh, if you don't have that, well, you can just text. I'll show you the word later. It's just a 60-second Bible verse devotional every day. Al starts his day every day with that. He's got the Life Application Study Bible, so then every day you can open up to that passage and read more. He said, it's daily hope every morning, praying throughout the day, going to my small group every Monday night, 
and going to church every weekend. He said, for me, those things help me keep Jesus first place. And I've found those to be true in my life as well. You could summarize it this way. How do you keep keeping your eyes on Jesus? Primarily two ways. You listen to his words. You're doing that right now, by the way. That's why like, you almost feel like um, God is in a good way kind of like painting layers on of your new identity. The more you look to his word, God, who do you say I am? And depending on your upbringing, your personality, your mistakes, um, I have to keep putting that paint on layer after layer. If I stop for a while, the old starts to show through again. And after a moment, I said, that's not who I am anymore. Whether or not I did a good job on a weekend isn't did I put 70 hours into the message or 55. It's did I walk in the spirit throughout the week and love people and do my best and trust that God will make up the difference? That, that's for me. I have to find promises in scripture that relate to my shame and rejection voices. And there's promises for you. You listen to his words. Even while you're driving around, you can have the Bible playing on audio. You gather with other believers because what happens is when you bring your wounds to other people, Al described his group of other men. They're guys who've been through some similar things in life. And that's, that's on purpose. You want a group where they relate to your struggles. Because then you can have a group text thread and you can say, hey, guys, you know, or, or group, here's what I'm feeling. And someone else from the group will respond with a text and they'll say, yeah, I've been there too. But you know what? The Bible says you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we believe you're a new creation, and we're with you in this. And it's through the community of believers and the word of God that you slowly start to redefine yourself in a positive way. And here's a visual for that. This next week, you'll have these trigger events on this shame honor spiral. When they happen, apart from God, what do we do? We hide, we isolate, and we try to numb the pain. That's what we all do in a thousand different ways, but that's what we do. In Jesus, when you look to Jesus, you look to his word to say, who am I? And his people become true ministers. If you think of getting a cut on your hand, that pain, you feel that shame. We become to each other like spiritual nurses and doctors. It's like, oh my goodness, I've had that cut on my hand before. Let me tell you something that really was a healing salve for that wound on me. And by the way, you're not alone in this. And here's some things that I did to help heal that part of me. And that's why we're called to live in community. This is why our small groups are so important. Uh, by the way, I'm just going to say this real briefly. Um, down here, we all deal with this stuff. It's normal. Uh, I was reading this last week, a national trend uh, of people who went to church before COVID versus now. Um, one out of five people who was regularly going to church before COVID, one out of five no longer goes to church. Uh, not, I don't mean online. I mean, they're not online or in person. That's national, nationwide. And, and, and you, you know what happens? People get pried away from what God is doing. They're still dealing with this stuff, especially in a year of constant anxiety, constant rage of, of our society. And we got to deal with this stuff somehow, but we're isolated and so a lot of people who we love have gotten into dark stuff that they're embarrassed about. And, and I, I, I only say that to say, uh, if that's you, that's very normal and God wants to lift you up out of that. But secondly, if 
you know someone who was going to church at any Bible-believing church, and right now they're just not engaged anywhere, um, lovingly consider that they're probably down here feeling a lot of isolation and hiding. And they might be like, oh, I'm just too busy for church, but probably some of this stuff is going on. I think we're called as a community to, to embrace those people with grace and say, hey, God's got a better plan for you. So that's, that's a slight aside here, okay? But uh, I want to talk about the card that's on your seat. Do you guys have that, that card? If you're watching online, here's what it looks like. And if you're online, you can get it at connectionpoint.org soap. Uh, you can also call us and we'll mail you one if you want a physical one. I'm not going to preach every one of these verses. But what this is, what you're holding in your hand is a Costco sample appetizer. You guys know what I'm talking about? One of the things that I most miss from the pre-COVID world is going to Costco, mask-free, and getting the samples, going around and tasting all the different flavors and all the different foods. What I've done on this card is I've given you about five or six promises of God for very common, typical ways that we feel shame, rejection, or worthlessness, like when we sin or we mess up or we have regrets. We all deal with that stuff. This is five or six of the thousands of promises of God. And here's your journey of keep keeping your eyes on Jesus is this. God has a promise for the shame, worthlessness, or rejection that you feel. And so kind of make it your mission this next week. Find the promise of God that, that fits your shame or rejection. You know, so in my case where it's like you're never good enough. Your best effort is never enough. I have to remind myself, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not condemned because of Jesus. And so I want to share with you, not as a sermon, but just as these little appetizers, give you a few of these that are on that card. Let's talk about when you've sinned. That's a common one, right? You're like, oh, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven, I've been baptized, he forgave my sins, but I just, you know, let's say you cut someone off and someone cut you off in traffic and you, uh, you sin with anger and your kids are in the back seat and they hear it. And now you're like, ah, you know, that's a little bit of shame, right? Pretty small compared to the other stuff in our lives, but a little bit of shame. What do you do with it? Well, that or something much more extreme, if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if there's other people in the car, you say, hey, dad shouldn't have talked that way. Sorry, guys, dad's a sinner too, but Jesus died on the cross for me. I'm real thankful for 1 John 1, 9, and I'm confessing my sin to him, right? You, you make it, if it's a sin that affected other people, you make it right with them. If you were in the car alone, you just say, God, forgive me. You know that person's a total idiot, and I'm real sorry, but I'm claiming 1 John 1, 9. Right, That's a little example. We've got a lot deeper stuff that goes on in our lives. But the point of these promises is this. Uh, some of you, that card, you might need to circle the one of these that most applies to you and put that up on your bathroom mirror or put that on your dashboard of your car or put that somewhere you're going to see it regularly because the principle here is you find the promise of God that applies to your wound and you keep putting that medicine on. Okay, what's another wound? Well, another wound would be you feel rejected. And by the way, I think feeling rejected is sadly the norm for every one of our kids growing up right now. They live in a world where 
no matter what they look like, what they say or do, they're going to be rejected by somebody. That's why as a church family, it's so important for us to let them know they're loved, they're embraced, they're valued here. We live in a world where you could be the most innocent, perfect person in the world, and if you're out on the internet, some idiot is going to tell you horrendous things about you. And so we live in a world of constant rejection. And some people, it just rolls off their back, and other people, it gets in their heart, and it really weighs them down. If you feel feelings of rejection, Ephesians 1 verse 4 is one of the hundreds of promises God gives you. He says, even before God made the world, he loved you, and he chose you. God picked you. So no matter what anyone says about you or thinks about you, almighty God, who defines right and wrong, who created light and darkness, he chooses you loves you, and has chosen you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Because you've believed in Jesus, he doesn't see you as all your faults. He sees you as his own son or his daughter. How about the times when you feel too flawed? When you feel too flawed, here's one of the hundreds of promises for you. Romans 8, no power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God. That's in Christ Jesus. Now, just like a Costco sample, the point of this card and of just kind of breezing through these is to incite your appetite so that you will go to the deep freezer and buy a lifetime supply of God's promises. I'm just demonstrating that whenever you feel bad, negative, rejected, worthless, look to the word of God. And if that's not working, look to the people of God and say, God, I, I need help. What does God say for me? And it's that vulnerability, showing the wounds. You don't have to stand up on the stage and do it. But to the few in your small group, that's when you start to realize, wow, nothing, nothing can separate me from God's love. That includes my mistakes. That includes my past. That includes the voices in the back of my head. That includes the things that I was told as a kid growing up. Nothing can separate me from God's love. In Christ Jesus. And the list goes on. If you don't yet have a Bible, text the word Bible to us. We'll get you a life application study Bible where you can look up in the back uh, different words like shame, rejection, and it'll take you to specific scriptures. You can text the word daily to that same number uh, if you want to join thousands now who are starting their day every day with that daily hope devotional. What's the point of these tools? It's this spiral, we want to help you plug into God's word every day. So from now till we see each other again in here, you will have things that bring up these feelings in your life. Even if you're grunting and groaning, or, I don't know what it is, I just, you know, these things are happening. So when they happen, will you look to God's word? Will you look to his people? This is not like a pass or fail thing. <laughs> this is a, you get a little better at it each week and season of life, and you kind of have ups and downs, but as you keep looking to God's word and, and his people, uh, eventually, just like that paint painting over uh, old graffiti in our lives, negative messages that were painted onto us in our childhood or through our mistakes, um, God keeps painting over it with his promises, his truth. He actually already sees us as perfect through Jesus, but from now till we get to heaven, it's us learning to actually see ourselves the same way. And then we're able to call each other up to lives of honor and significance and purpose. This is what God desires for us. So quick application. If you're not in a group, text the word group. 
Um, you know, as Al described, I mean, that's one of the huge differences. There were groups that he was in before Jesus, but they didn't have the Bible. And then he had the Bible, but he didn't have a group. Now he's got both God's word, God's people. If you don't have a group, we've got one for you. We've got groups of just guys, groups of just women, groups of couples, groups of college students, groups of people who work out together, pretty much you name it. We've got a group for you. Everyone has a journey with shame, rejection, and worth. So please don't fool yourself into thinking you don't, and don't fall for the lie that you're weird because you do. We all have this journey. The question is this, which direction are you headed? Are you headed toward health and healing, or are you headed into a shame spiral downward? Final application, just because I know there's some of you, this is cutting very deep. And we've got a group called our Accepted Group, Uh, 59 of you texted in for this last week. Um, If this cuts pretty deep in your heart, um, we've got uh, confidential groups. We're not going to put your name on the screen. Okay, there's groups for men, groups for women. Uh, We've had enough teenagers contact us about this that I think we're going to have a group for teens. You just text the word accepted, 317-350-1996. Uh, No matter if your shame is from perfectionism and it's false shame or regrets from really terrible stuff you did, doesn't matter. Uh, You'll get in a group with others like you who will go through this book called Shame Interrupted written by a psychologist PhD who's a Bible-believing seminary-trained Christian who weaves the truths of Scripture to really help you redefine yourself. I say that because next week is the last week of this series, but some of you... Um, If you will go through this group, which will be five or six weeks, it could truly change the way you see yourself for the rest of your life in a positive way. So uh, let's pray right now and just ask that God would help each of us, whatever our step is, to keep keeping our eyes on Jesus this week. Lord, I just want to thank you for how you do set us free. I'm sure not perfect and I sure have not arrived, but you have transformed the way I see myself. And I'm just so thankful for that. It allows me to help so many other people in ways that I wouldn't be doing if I had believed those lies about myself. They would have stopped me in my tracks. So thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for my friend Al and what you're doing in his life. You're setting him free from regret, free from the past, free to live for you. It's for freedom that we've been set free. And Lord, I love my brothers and sisters, everyone in this room and online. I want your very best for them. I don't want a single one of them living under a constant cloud of shame or regret. I don't want them walking down with their heads bowed low like they're no good. You don't want that. You've created them in Christ Jesus to do good works that you've prepared in advance for them to do. And Lord, they're precious in your sight. They're valuable. You've chosen. You've loved. And you've called us higher. And so, Lord... I just pray against any stronghold that the enemy has in any of our thinking. I pray that as we keep keeping our eyes on you this week, every time a negative emotion is triggered, that we'd look to your word, look to you, look to your people. Would you just redefine the way we see ourselves so that we live as the dignified, valued, purified, dressed in robes of honor, sons and daughters of the almighty King, the creator of the universe. Help us live it. Help us experience it. We pray in Jesus' name.